Good morning. We're in a series called Simple, and today is part three. You can go back online, catch up any of these you want to. Today is called Simple Response, just making a response to our Savior. I listed out some verses there, and next week we'll continue with probably my favorite section, 242 and following. Today is uh, verse 37 in Acts 2. Turn there, Acts 2, 37 through 41. There's a great section of Scripture there. Matter of fact, would you stand with me? And, uh, and I promise after that I'll let you sit down for a while. How's that? So just stand with me. Chapter 2 in the book of Acts. And we're going to pick up there in verse 37. And when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Great question. And Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And the promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord will call. And with many, others, many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized. There were about 3,000 were added to the number that day. It's a great passage. And I want to talk to you this morning about some thoughts on the book of Acts and about our lives and the response and right before you get seated, I just want to tell you, today was just an awesome declaration. It was a response of two people's hearts responding to their Lord. Be seated. So this morning, we want to talk about response and what that means to us that name faith and name the name of Jesus, profess our faith in Christ as Charity and Spencer did today. And, you know, I'm just believing that the Word of God has power, the power to convict, the, the power to change lives. I know the Lord opens hearts. I've never opened a heart, but the Lord opens hearts. About 38 years ago this month, the Lord opened my heart to the gospel, and I received Christ, and my journey began of faith. And in, in Acts 2.41, it says, Those who accepted his message were baptized. About 3,000 were added to their number that day. We said last weekend, that was kind of the beginning of the first megachurch. I mean, 3,000 in one day, 3,000 converts, that's, that's pretty significant. In the Greek, there's a, there's a word, the church, it means the ecclesia. It means the movement. It means the gathering of people. And on Sunday mornings, we have an opportunity to, to gather like we do. And churches all across the world, they gather to celebrate. They, they gather to worship. They, they gather for instruction. They, they gather to celebrate the sacraments as we did today. And the church has touched millions of people over the years. And if the Lord tarries, it'll continue to touch lives and change lives with the power of the gospel. In the book of Acts, you, you read through the story there, and you see that even persecution breaks out against the believers. They were bold. They were tenacious. They were strong. Didn't know what coward meant. And they, they proclaimed Jesus to the point that they were killed and tortured and crucified in so many different ways. And you continue to go through that. 20 years later, the early church is confronted with that question, well, what should I do? What, what shall we do? And that question today is a question we have to ask ourselves. This message of the gospel of grace, what are we going to do with it? Are we going to go, well, I put it in the compartment of my mind for religion, and I'll deal with it on Sundays and special times when I go to the house of the Lord or maybe when I see religious people, and that's what I do. No. That would not be a sufficient answer. It's that the gospel comes to our lives and it permeates and it brings about new life and it, and it brings about new direction and new guidance from the Lord. 
You know, the early church had an answer that some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees, and anytime I talk about the Pharisees, it's usually not good. In Acts 15, 5, and you don't have to turn there, I'll read it to you. It says, the Gentiles must be circumcised and required to obey the law of Moses. They wanted to add law. They wanted to add requirements. A modern translation would have said, to be a part of the church, you have to have surgery, and you have to follow 613 old Testament laws. How many would be excited about that today? See, this morning when we talk about we follow Christ in baptism, it's a powerful picture of the grace of God in a heart. Now, this morning we said, we're celebrating you coming to faith, and we're going to have a circumcision service this afternoon, and everybody come. Yeah, all the guys are like, man, I ain't going to that church. That's a weird church. And I would go. I would run too. But this this thing, the circumcision of the heart, where God cuts away and he gives us a new heart. That's the gospel. It's, it's a beautiful concept here. And Peter here, in 15, 8 through 9, he just goes, God knows the heart. He showed that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them, just as he did to us. He made no distinction between us and them, for he purified their hearts by faith. See, the gospel is for the Jew first. And then for the Gentile, we get grafted in. The gospel is for all people. And the church said, it's for everybody. I love this life-changing gospel. It's for you. It's for me. It's changed my life. Has the gospel changed your life? Some of you are like, yeah, absolutely. Somebody punched somebody and said, yeah, man, you ought to have seen them before then. I know. I'm glad I didn't know you then, okay? Now, if you didn't know me, if you, you know, sometimes I have these thoughts around my spiritual birthday, I go, you know, if these people would have known me 38, 40, 45 years ago, they'd have been going, mm -mm, I ain't coming to that church. I mean, I was bad. And you can turn to the person and say, our pastor was bad. No, don't turn to the person. Turn to the person next to you and go, I am bad. I was bad. I mean, Christ, man, I needed a new heart. I needed a new nature. I just didn't know it. And I was just, I'm going to make some thoughts. So not in your comments. I'll get to the outline. But I was thinking about what the church does and what it's about. The church is a place of grace. The church is a, a place of acceptance, a place that we come just as we are. And I hear this all the time. Pastor, I would love to come to that church on Ryan Road. But, I, I love, everybody goes, but. When you say but, it's connecting one thought to another. But, but, but what? But y'all have too many. Wait a minute. See if y'all know. We have too many hypocrites. And people say that all the time. They go, oh, those hypocrites. So here's my standard reply. Then you don't come because if you're not, you'll mess it up. So don't come because we all fall short of the glory of God. And if you've already got all your stuff together and you're grade A and you're grade A flesh, you just don't know it, then you're going to mess this church up. I love that my God loves imperfect people just like you and me. And he loves me in my mess, but he loves me too much to leave me the way I am. He's about transformation. So let's move on to, I think about Peter, hothead, denied Christ, James and John, exceptionally ambitious guys, Matthew, tax collector, do I have to say any more? Philip, practical, analytical, skeptic. All of them fled Christ when they were arrested. John Mark, a mama's boy, that's my interpretation, abandoned the journey, the, the missionary journey. Paul, who used to be Saul, 
oh my goodness, gospel terrorist at best, okay? Before he gets converted on the Damascus Road. Not a very good thought here. Just some usual people God picks. You know what else the church does? The church is a place where the word of God is spoken. It's where faith is spoken into people and over people. And when God speaks faith, and when we hear the word of God, it brings about change. The word in Isaiah says, my word shall not return void. When my word goes out, you have to make a decision. You reject the word of the living God, or you receive it, and it gets planted in your heart, and it changes you forever. I don't know where you're at. You're like, man, I want to receive it. I don't want to reject it. But we know in this room there are people that are rejecting, have rejected. And then I think about what is the church. The church is just a great place of change where people find change in Christ and God works for them. I read a story this week I thought was great about change and how one person can make a difference. i, I got to share it with you. I, you girls will probably like it. The guys are like, it's too flowery, no pun intended. But here it is. It's called the Daffodil Principle. Listen to this. I loved it. Several times this woman's daughter called to say, Mom, you must come see the daffodils before they're over. And I want to take you down to this airhead place here in California. And I will next Tuesday. Mom, would you come and go with me? And the mom was like, I already have to drive to come see you. Forget it, Carolyn. I don't want to be a part of that. Forget the daffodils. The road's invisible. There's cloudy. There's fog. I, I don't want to do that. And the daughter was persistent, and the, and the daughter continued to say, Mom, 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 I need you to come and see the daffodils. And she goes, well, okay, honey, how far will I have to drive? Mom, it's not very far, I promise, but it's a sight that you have to see. She goes, all right. So she finally gave in, and they're riding over, and she rides. She goes, Mom, she goes, well, it's a little farther than I told you, Mom, but it's not too far. And they get over there, and then they turn the corner. And listen to this. I love this story. Before this lady laid the most glorious sight, it looked as though someone had taken a great vat of gold and poured it down over the mountain peak and slopes. The flowers were planted in majestic, swirling patterns, great ribbons and swaths of deep orange, white, lemon, yellow, salmon, pink, saffron, butter, yellow. Each different color variety was planted as a group that it swirled and flowed like its own river. Five majestic acres of flowers. 50,000 bubs. There was a sign that just says 50,000 bubs. 50,000 bubs. And then it said this, one at a time. Two hands, two feet, very little brain. The third answer was, I began it in 1958. And here it was, this vast array of daffodils, the most incredible colors. And, and this daughter was so caught up. She goes, Mom, I have to share it with you. And I thought, that should be the picture of the vivid display of Christ when people round the curve here as they're coming on off of Chantilly and they come in and they begin to see these people and they begin to see this array in this vivid color, one person at a time that's had their life changed by the grace of Jesus. You're like, well, I want to see the daffodils. Okay, well, we got property over here. We got eight acres over here just sitting there. Did you start planting? But I'd wish we would plant on the rock of Jesus Christ and we'd let God, you do something so significant. So the, the church is a place of real fellowship. The God that influenced Bill Hybels, everybody talks about how Bill Hybels has influenced us in America. But Dr. B was one of his professors and he had a statement. I remember hearing it a couple of decades ago. He said there's life-changing fellowship 
in the biblical functioning community of the church. There's life-changing possibility fellowship when the community of faith functions as God wants it to. And I thought, God, that's the kind of church you want to build. You want to build a church that follows hard after Christ and it's developed and it's passionate and it's worship and it praises the name of Jesus. It's just awesome and it goes for what God has. It has an impact. It's like today, I did some research. I, I like football and Matter of fact, Donna, I didn't tell you, but I went ahead and recorded it. It starts at 12.05, and, uh, but, but I recorded it, and maybe sometime I like watching stuff on DVR because I can fly through it and do it quick. But today there's a football game. Does anybody know there's an NFL game today? Jeff, I know you know who it is. Who, who's playing today, Jeff? Yeah, the Panthers. So he just, you know, our boy Cam's going to be there, okay? And like he's our boy. We, we don't know him. But anyway, but, but here's the deal. I, I read this, and, and today Cam Newton, superstar athlete, He's going to get in the stadium. They're in an NFL playoff, and he's not going to get in the huddle with all these grown men. And they're going to put their hands, and they're going to look at each other all day. I mean, if they did, that would be an embarrassment. They would be fired. But listen to what I read. I, I like this. Today, the average ticket is $368.04. The average price just to get in the gate with no seat is $158. You're saying, that's a bunch of foolish people. Here's all I'm saying. You go to a football team and you expect, not spectators, you expect participation of the athletes on the field. We're on the field. For the, we're the army of Christ. And God's got assignments for each of us to move. But if we just sit around in little holy huddles, there's not much that gets done. I've often wondered if we, got, if we broke out of the huddle, as Tony Evans once talked about this great illustration, if we broke out of the huddle and really proclaimed Jesus and the power of the resurrection, I think every single week we would see God add to the number of those which were being saved. How many believe that? But we've got to break out of the huddle. So you, you read here in Acts, I get so fired up when I read this. It's a, some people say, well, it's a historical book. It is historical. It has a rational part to it. It is empirical in part. But the bottom line is, the resurrection of Jesus is declared. Jesus has conquered death. This man that was dead now lives. I, I love that. He comes to offer forgiveness of sin. But then, we read in a minute ago in the scripture, then he promises to give the Holy Spirit to impart in us, to seal us, to dwell within us, to make this Christ life possible. I'm not asking you today to walk out of here and try more, try to be good. Man, you'll, you'll be miserable. I'm asking you to trust in the power of the Holy Spirit. Trust in the power of Christ. Let God open your heart. But there's some concepts here I want us to write down today. Our response is required, and it all starts. A biblical gospel, listen to this. A biblical gospel always has this word. There's a lot of non-biblical gospel being shared across the country, across the world. And i got to tell you, to be honest with you, it irritates me because it's not Christ-centric. Biblical gospel, you, you can take this to the bank. If this is my last breath, I would want to say this. Biblical gospel always involves repentance. It always has to have a turning from and a turning to something. So many people are like, just pray this prayer. You're not going to find the sinner's prayer in the Bible. I'm sorry if I just messed up your theology, but you're just not going to find it in there. 
there's always a repentance that you're turning away from the darkness and the death and the destruction of sin and you're turning to the light and to the gospel and to the power of the living Christ amen I'm asking you to turn to something not to stay where you are look what I wrote in here repent is a word that's greatly misunderstood some people think it means I feel remorseful and sorry. I'm just going <laughs> to cry and wait. That ain't got nothing to do with salvation. Now, it might involve repentance and brokenness, and that's fine and that's cool. And some of you and some of us are more emotional than others. But tears has never saved anybody. It's a turning of our heart. And look what it says here. You can do this, but it means to change your mind. That's what repentance means. The Greek word is metanoia means to change my mind about that which I was thinking. I changed my mind about my fallen condition, about my sin, about my offense toward holy God. And I turned my heart completely toward him. It's called surrender. And so there's nothing to do here except repent, to change your mind, to think again, to go after the Lord. You know, a lot of times we, we've been deluded, we've been fooled, we've been deceived, and we go, there's no repentance in some biblical preaching, and that's true, but that's not biblical. That's not really what the Word of God teaches. I, I, y'all, I could camp on this Word all day because I think it's so critical to the church of Jesus that we have to repent and follow Christ. We are Christ followers. We follow after somebody. We respond. We realize that we're sinful. We realize that we're afflicted. We realize we're messed up. We realize that we're separated. We realize that we need to be reconciled, and we get reconciled through the blood of Christ, and through that we get redeemed. So you move from reconciliation to redemption. And that's power, and that's joy, and that's life. It's like, if you don't have this turning from something, then you're in trouble. Let's look here at the next blank. Repentance is turning away from sin, and it is your faith turning toward God. So you, this morning, you're saying, well, Pastor, I did that a long time ago. That's awesome. And maybe you've never done that. Maybe today would be the day that you turn your heart back toward Jesus, or maybe you come back to faith and you turn your heart totally toward him and you become fully alive in Christ. Oh God, that's, that's what we pray for. That's, that's what we want. Matter of fact, there's some steps of repentance and I just want you to write them in the margin. I, I didn't fill out the outline, but 2 Corinthians 7.10 says, godly sorrow produces repentance leading to salvation. It means to change my mind, to change my heart. That's biblical preaching. It, it Here's a couple of steps. Number one, it recognizes my guilt. God, I'm a mess. I'm guilty. I'm condemned. I've missed the mark. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. Lord, I can't do anything. I'm frozen. I'm perplexed. I'm broken. I'm guilty. And then it moves to the second step. It didn't trust that God will forgive you. It doesn't trust that I can earn my way to God. It just trusts in the goodness of Christ. And it trusts that Jesus loves me and that Jesus' blood can cover me. And Christ, I trust you to forgive me. I trust you, Christ, to give me a new heart. I trust you, Christ, to give me power and to live for you. And then the other step, I would just say, it, it means what I just said. You, you turn from sin to God. You're, you're turning from something to something. Always turning something. You know, when Jesus saves us, he takes our our sinful nature, and he gives us new desires. And those things that you used to fulfill yourself with, those aren't as interesting. They're not as appealing when you're in Christ. And God gives you new desires. I, I just give you mine. 
I was, uh, grew up in a family that alcoholism was very strong and heavy drink, and, and so I was introduced to alcohol as a young man, and it was a real part of my life. And I, when I came to radical faith in Christ that night, I laid all that down. And I haven't touched it since that day by the grace of Jesus. But here's what I'm telling you. And people are like, well, pa- pa- Pastor, what do you drink? Well, let me tell you, God's given me plenty of things to drink, and he gave me new desires. And, and I even remember eight years ago when he took sweet tea away from me. That was even harder than giving up the liquor, I, I got to tell you. I mean, you know, sweet tea is a drink of Christians, you know. I mean, I'm a southern boy, and you got to at least drink two or three gallons, you know. you got to have that stuff. And, and you think I'm heavy now, you ought to see how heavy I'd be if I hadn't given up sweet tea. But I remember I would drink sweet tea all the time. And there's this little restaurant down there at Vicky on called Sports Palace. And you'd go in there and they'd go, here comes the preacher, get the tea ready. And I would just start drinking. And when I left there, I had to have the biggest cup they had. And I would drink it, drink it, drink it. And, and, and that nasty stuff y'all drink, unsweetened tea, what's the point? That's pathetic. So I, w- I would drink the, the real stuff and it'd be syrupy. And, 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 and about eight years ago, God said, you got to get off this stuff. Well, actually, God spoke to my wife. She says, you need to get off this. And, and I did. I, I gave it up. And, 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 and about, about six years ago, I, I was in a restaurant, and I said, I just want to try some sweet tea. I, I, just, I just wanted to flirt with it. And I picked up a cup. And I got to tell you all, it was the coolest thing. It's ever. I, I just thought, God, why can't every sin be like that? I'm not, I'm not saying sweet tea is a sin. Don't write me. Okay, I'm not saying what I'm saying. I picked it up, and I drank it. I drank that much. That was the foulest, sweetest stuff I'd ever drank. I couldn't handle it. Because, you know, here's why I give you that long illustration. God was beginning to give me new desires and new taste. And when you come to Christ, God gives you new desires, and he gives you new taste for the things of the kingdom, and he gives you taste for righteousness. And the church said, that's what I want. And some of you right now are like, I wish you'd hurry up and finish because I need a big glass of sweet tea, okay? So you drink a glass of sweet tea today for your pastor, okay? Awesome. You turn toward God. You, you obey. Let's, let's fill this in here. Obedience. We talked about this on Wednesday night, and I just had to come back. Sorry, small group, but I, but I thought this was really good. Look at it. Obedience unlocks the power of God. Number one, we must let go of the old ways that we're acting. We let go of those old ways. And I don't know what your old ways are and your old pattern of thinking and, and what's got you in trouble, but you let go. Listen to what Ephesians says in 422 in the message. We must let go of it, but everything connected with that old way of life has to go. It's rotten through and through. Get rid of it. So this morning, a response for you might be there's some things in your life that Christ wants you to put down, and he wants you to just let go of that old way, that old pattern. Let's move to the second one. Then we have to change the way we think. We let the Spirit change our way of thinking. I am not capable. You're not capable without the Spirit of the Christ, without the Holy Spirit. And He can transform your patterns, your thinking, and He can give you new thoughts, and He can give you ways that are higher than your ways. How many of you believe that this morning? And Christ wants to change our way of thinking. He wants to renew our mind. This morning, when they followed Christ in the baptism, they were buried into Him, and it was like it was a renewed way, a renewed pattern of following after Christ. Look at the next one. Then we develop the habits of Jesus. You'll spend a lifetime trying to get the habits of Jesus. And I'll tell you where I found the habits of Jesus in his holy word. This is God's will for you and me. When I become a practitioner, you know that's a popular word today, nurse practitioner. Hannah and my girls, they have so many friends that are nurses, and they're all becoming nurse practitioners. And it's really a great career. I, you know, some of you in this room might be, you go to the doctor now, and a lot of times a doctor doesn't see you because a nurse practitioner. So practitioner is good. We understand that. But you know what I want you to become? I want you to become a word practitioner. 
I want you to practice the word of the living Christ. Amen? Amen? That's what God wants. You're like, well, do you have to have a degree in that? Just follow Jesus. Didn't have anything with getting a theology degree or anything. You, you, you just follow after Christ and you go, I want to follow him. Now let's, let's move to this because I, I want you to see this section here. It's, it's pretty critical. Baptism is a, the physical proof of repentance and the commitment to follow Jesus. And we saw that demonstrated. It's an outward display, those two display that for us today, of an inward conviction, an inward happening in their heart. It's an open con- identification with Jesus. Now let me tell you what I learned years ago. I've been a pastor for, I'm in my 34th year, and I, I remember years and years ago, somebody came to me one time and says, Keith, I would love to be baptized. I said, man, that is awesome. You want to follow Jesus. And I've been enthusiastic about this for a long time, and I go, so you want to go public? And then they stopped me dead in my track. No. I want to do it in private. I don't want anybody around. And i got to tell you, I was about 28, 29 years old, and I looked at them and I said, no. <laughs> I just did. Just said no and walked off. That was spiritual. I know. I, I, I've learned a little more grace since then. Now I'd go, heck no. But I said no. And then they went, well, why not? I said, because following Jesus is public. We go open to the world. We go open to the church. We declare. We want people to know. I'm acknowledging the death and burial or resurrection of Jesus, and I want the world to know I am a Christ follower. Amen? There's no going private. One day, one day, listen, everybody, everybody, Keith, listen. When you stand before the Father, you better have acknowledged the Son of God. And if you've acknowledged and you've followed Jesus, he will acknowledge you before the Father. And you will be welcomed into heaven because of the precious blood of Christ, because you went public, because you committed your life to him. Amen. You're like, well, Pastor, I'm an introvert. I'll hold your hand, okay? We'll have your mom and daddy with you. Matter of fact, I loved it today. Family members they always assist. They always help baptize up here. It's a family event. It's also a faith family event. We go public. Let's just say some things here. In baptism, there's been some false teaching out there. Do I get forgiveness of sin, remission of sins in baptism? Absolutely not. The forgiveness of sin is in the grace, in the blood of Jesus Christ when we repent, when we receive the Holy Spirit, when we follow Christ, the promise of God. We identify with Christ. Let me give you some verses. Romans 6, 3, 6, 3 through 4. I'm going to give you three scriptures here, and I'm going to let the Word of God speak to you. Or have you forgotten that when we were joined with Christ Jesus in baptism, we joined him in his death, for we died and were buried with Christ by baptism? And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. This morning, those two walk away from, from the baptistry tank, and they go, I'm going I'm to follow Jesus. I'm going I'm to live this new life following after Christ. It's what's taking place in my heart, placing my faith in Jesus, trusting completely in Christ to save me. But I wanted my church to know. I wanted the world to know. I wanted the, fa- I wanted the Father of heaven to know, Lord, I acknowledge you. Openly, I want to tell others. Look at what Titus 3, 5 through 7 says. And he saved us not because of the righteous things we have done, but because of his mercy if you turn there in the Bible, or you just, I just write the word mercy and circle it. 
because of the mercy. He washed away our sins. He gave us new birth and new life through the Holy Spirit. The Scripture says that. And he generously poured out the Spirit upon us through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Because of his grace, he declared us now righteous. And he gave us confidence now that we will inherit eternal life. This morning, I don't want you to walk out of here going, you know, I don't know if I'm saved. I don't know if anybody can know. You can know without a shadow of a night of doubt if you put your trust in the living Christ this morning. Amen? You can know. You can be confident. Not I was hoping, I was thinking, I was wondering, I was reckoning, whatever. You can be confident. Don't you like confident people? How many of you want to go to a doctor and the doctor goes, you know, boy, I don't know what's wrong with you. But I was thinking, well, they call it medical practice for a reason. Just think about that for a minute. But I love it when you walk in, the doctor goes. I mean, this is scary when they walk in, they go, I ain't never seen one of them before. Hey, true story. Getting in the margin. I get in trouble sometimes, but I think it makes sense. I'm in Venezuela preaching the gospel in the 90s. I've got a doctor with me. <laughs> and I'm, I'm sharing all I can. He's sharing. He's seeing patients. And he goes, Keith, Keith, come here, quick. He goes, you have to see this. I said, what? He goes, don't make it so conspicuous, but in a minute I want you to look down and I want you to see that guy's feet. I said, okay. So, you know, of course I wanted to immediately do that, but I didn't, you know. I don't think the guy understood me anyway, but I, I didn't want to be, you know, insulting. And then I looked down. And when I looked down, I went, whoa. He goes, and later that night he goes, I had never seen that but in a book. That guy has six toes. You know what I'm saying? And all I'm saying to us is, man, we, we need to know. We, we need to know with confidence this morning that our sins are forgiven, that there's, there's grace, there's mercy there's assurance of our soul that it's right with Christ. In Colossians chapter 2, verse 12 and 13, I love what the Scripture says. For you were buried with Christ. And this morning they were buried with Christ. And when you were baptized and when you were raised in new life because you trusted in the mighty power of God who raised Christ from the dead. And you were dead because of your sins. And we're all dead because of our sins. But because of your sensual, sinful nature, it was cut away. And then God made you alive with Christ. And then when God made you and me alive, then God says, and then Christ forgave you. He pardoned you. He set you free. That is great news. So this morning, baptism did not save any of them this morning. It was their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. By his grace were they saved by his mercy. Baptism was simply obedience to follow him. It was a reality for them. It was a, an initial, immediate step of obedience. And today, here's what I'm trying to encourage you. I think some today possibly need to be baptized. And you could today just let us know at the end of this service and this last song comes. I mean, I want to be baptized now. I want to follow Christ now. I don't want to put it off. I know it's going to be a little awkward. I'm not sure how we'll do it because you're going to be wet and, and we got some towels and, and we'll, somebody run to Walmart. I don't know. But we'll figure it out here. But baptism, I read this, I liked it. Baptism separates the tire kickers from the car buyers. Would you feel comfortable marrying someone who wanted to keep the marriage a secret? I mean, can you imagine being married going, are you married? Don't tell anybody. <laughs> well, your wife's probably thinking about you right now anyway, but, but, but I'm just saying. No, you, like right now, our daughter, our youngest is engaged. I mean, she's so happy, and they're so happy, and I love it. 
And the world knows, and we know, and I can't wait till we do their wedding this summer, and it's going to be a declaration of their love for Christ and their love for each other. And it will not be a secret. It's a public event. It's awesome. How much more shall we go public for our Savior every day that Jesus Christ gives me strength? Jesus Christ gives me hope. Jesus Christ gives me grace. Jesus Christ is my life. And the church said, that's what I want. That's, that's gospel. Center in a need of a Savior. We talked about the Great Commission the other day to go make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit today. That's what we did. Just part of them, making disciples and baptizing people. That's what Jesus said. Baptizio. The word in the Greek just means dip. means they were dipping cloth. It means they, they dipped people. They immersed them. Sometimes when we baptize people, I understand some people are scared of the water. One time we baptized somebody years ago, and I, and I promise you, I thought I was going to have to get in the tank and sit on them because I'm trying to put them under, and they're trying to come up. I'm like, wait a minute, and we want, we want to dip you. And they were like, I don't like water. I said, okay. I was, I was about to resort to a garden hose. I'm just saying. I was just thinking. I, I don't know. But you know what? Here's what I want you to think about this morning. Bapti write this down. Baptism is not optional. It's an obligation for a Christ follower. We follow Christ out of our love for him. Lord, I'm obligated because of my devotion to you. I want to demonstrate it. I want others to know. I want to make a public statement. I want people to see my devotion to Christ. Ephesians 2.19 says, We were no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household. As they come this morning, we're going to close this out, but I, I read a quote this week by Charles Finney that was very powerful. He says, revival is a new beginning of obedience to God. Let me say it again. Revival is a new beginning of obedience to God. My prayer is that today you would have revival in your heart and you would go, Lord Jesus, I want to obey you completely. When I obey you, it unlocks the power of God. When I obey you, it blesses your heart. When I obey you, peace floods my soul. So this morning, the invitation is simple. Turn from sin and follow after the Savior. Let's pray together. Father, it is so good to be in your house just to make a gospel proclamation of the goodness and the grace and the mercy of Jesus. And Lord, this morning, I remember my baptism. I pray that we would take a journey right now and we would remember our baptism as we saw two baptized today into Christ. And maybe you can say, Keith, I don't remember my baptism, but I want to. Well, today could be the day of your baptism, or we could schedule one for the future, but you would say, I want to follow Christ. And I want people to know about Jesus, that he's real, that he's my redeemer, and he lives in my heart. He's awakened me. He's the captain of my ship, and he leads me even in the stormy waters of life. I told the guys this morning, the Bible says, Whom do I have in heaven but you, O Lord? 
Lord, I pray that today me and my friends would look to Christ and we would cross from the bridge of death to life in Jesus and we would look and celebrate the goodness of our God and how great he is. God, move today by the power of the Holy Spirit. Convict and change hearts in this room. And Lord, there's some right now, I know, Lord, there's some that there's a stirring, there's a wrestling in their soul today. And today could be the day of their salvation. May they respond in repentance, turn and receive Christ. Oh God, don't let us live another day without knowing that Jesus has saved me. You're a great God. And we bless you, Lord. So this morning, we've just come to pledge our allegiance to the living Christ. And we pray that today, Lord, you would fall afresh.